Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. We are finally moving into the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke this morning. And uh, man, hope you guys had a great celebration with your family and friends uh, this week, getting to be around people that you love. I hope that was a part of that. If not, then uh, then we hope that you felt God's blessing just over your life as you uh, experienced time with him celebrating the birth of his son. And, uh, and so we are continuing in this study that we've been doing called From the Cradle to the Cross. We're just looking at the Gospel of Luke from this Christmas season until Easter. And we're going to be walking through the life of Jesus and following along with the things that Jesus does in his life and in his ministry to bring us to a place where we can know his Father. And so this entrance of Jesus onto the scene, we've been seeing prophecy about that in the first couple of weeks of the series. We've seen the birth of John the Baptist take place, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would come to tell the people of Israel that the Messiah is coming coming to prepare the way for him. And now this morning, we finally see the birth of Jesus. So if you will, just read from Luke chapter 2 with me, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, when we see Luke's gospel as he writes this, it's a very simple telling of the birth of Jesus. Luke gives us a lot of details around things that are taking place at this time, but few details about the actual birth experience. Even though Luke is a doctor and a historian, he primarily wants us to know a couple of things. And from the historical point of view, and as he's writing to both a Jewish and a Greek audience, he wants them to know, hey, this is taking place in the time of Caesar Augustus, who issues this decree that the entire Roman world should be taxed. And we know that this comes from Caesar. It's probably part of his arrogance to want to have the entire Roman world counted. He also wants to collect taxes from people, so it just boosts his economy. Uh, but you also see some important things here, because while Caesar issues this decree, it's really God pulling the strings from behind the curtain. Because the prophecy of the Messiah's birth was that he would be born where? In Bethlehem. And yet, where do Mary and Joseph live? Well, they live in Nazareth, right? And so how do you get someone from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Well, God designs this conflict that takes place. You go, well, let's put Caesar in charge. Uh, Caesar had instituted what's known as the Pax Romana, or a time of Roman peace. Uh, it came after a time of Roman war. There was civil war that took place, and Augustus Caesar uh, had to take out two other uh, kind of co-regents in order to become the main Caesar of the day. But after he becomes Caesar, it issues in a time of peace for the Roman world. And so Caesar has this moment now where he wants to bring all of the Roman world together to count them, to tax them, and to find out what his empire really looks like. 
But in doing that, he gets Mary and Joseph from where they live to Bethlehem, where God needs them to be in order to fulfill this prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah of the world being born in Bethlehem. And why is that possible? Because everyone has to go back to the city of their origin, the city of their birth, and Joseph is of the house in the line of David. Right? And so again, another prophecy fulfilled that the Messiah would be from the line of David and the tribe of Judah. And so all of these things are coming into play as Luke is telling us these things in the gospel. And then we find out that as they get there, and this is somewhat of a misnomer, we have this perception or this idea maybe that Mary and Joseph kind of stumble into Bethlehem on a night and Mary's already in labor and about to give birth and they have to hurriedly find a place to stay and to be. But Luke actually tells us that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered, that she should give birth to her child. And so we don't know how long they spent in Bethlehem, but my picture of this is not that they were rushing into Bethlehem and she's trying to give birth and trying not to give birth at the same time until they can find a place to be. They've probably already settled somewhere. The other misnomer may be that they find no room in an inn, no hotels available for them, so they have to give birth in this cave or this cattle stall where actually the word that's used here in the Greek language would be more of a guest room. Uh, when we see Luke later in his gospel write about the story of the Good Samaritan, when the Samaritan picks up this man off the street who's been beaten and left for dead, he takes him to an inn. And Luke uses a different word for that inn or hotel than he does in this passage when he writes about the guest room that Mary and Joseph have no access to. They're probably in someone's home, who doesn't have a guest room. The homes would have been uh, just kind of a square, a box. And on the lower side of that would be an area that would be a step down, much like if I were just to take one step down from this stage. And the lower part of their home would be the place that at night they would bring their animals into, and it would be the stable area. It was included in their home. And so there's no guest room for Mary and Joseph, but there is a place in the stable. And there is a manger that's there. And so when Jesus is born, they wrap him in cloths. Some of your translations, if you've grew up like me memorizing the King James Version, it might say the swaddling cloths, right? These swaddling cloths, and they laid him in a manger. Now those swaddling cloths, or these cloths that we're talking about, will become important in Luke's gospel in just a minute. Because as Luke writes this, he wants us to figure out some things. And he's really going to give a clue for some shepherds that are coming into the story. And so when Jesus is born, his arrival has been made into the world. He's placed in a manger. The king of heaven, can you imagine the king of heaven leaving glory, being born in a cattle stall, wrapped in swaddling cloths that would have been used for sheep, and placed in a stone manger. And that's where we find Jesus, the savior of the world, the one who came for us to give us redemption from our sins makes his humble entrance into the world. This isn't glorious. It's not magnificent from our perspective, but it's full of God's glory. And so we're going to see how that plays out because the next thing we see is that some angels appear, or rather an angel appears. If you look at verse 6, 
we move on to another scene. Luke just kind of leaves this scene of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus. And we're like, no, man, tell us more. Like, was it a silent night? Did Jesus cry? Was there stuff going on? I can go ahead and guarantee you it was not a silent night. The birth was painful. The birth was crazy. It would have been uh, a mess to deal with, just like every other birth that takes place in human history. And when Jesus was born, guess what? He screamed and he cried. And he was a newborn. And he probably had his days and his nights mixed up. And so when you want to be sleeping at night, the baby wants to be awake. And he's crying and all this stuff, right? And so all of these things are going on. This is a normal family. And so Luke doesn't give us the details and the pictures, and he doesn't fill in all the blanks. He just kind of says, and he was born and placed in a manger. And then he just moves on to the next scene. Check out what the next scene looks like. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And listen, if you're reading this for the very first time, and when Luke penned these words, and he started to put this out for the public to find and for the, the church to see and to read about, your mind would immediately jump to, whoa, whoa, whoa why? we're going to leave the birth of the Messiah and jump to, and there were fields and shepherds in fields nearby keeping, what, what? like, why did we just make that transition? <laughs> why did we make that jump, Luke? What are you trying to tell us? And the beautiful part of this narrative is that Luke is trying to give us a key into something that we sing about in some of our Christmas songs, but we don't always know about based on reading the text. And that's this, that they were certain shepherds, right? And when we say that, it's certain or specific. We just sang the song a minute ago, the first Noel. The angels did say to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. There's another Christmas song that we sing, God rest ye merry gentlemen, that says, for God, our heavenly father, a blessed angel came and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same, how that in Bethlehem was born the son of God by name, O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. So what is it about these certain or these specific shepherds that Luke wants us to know about? Well, here's what's going on. When you think about Bethlehem, and Luke says, and there were shepherds in fields nearby. We need to understand that right outside of Bethlehem were the shepherd fields. And the Bethlehem specific or strategic location is about six to eight miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is where the sacrifices take place. And what did the people need for sacrifices for their sins? They need sheep. Where are those sheep raised? They're raised in the fields outside of Bethlehem. In fact, there's an area just outside of Bethlehem known as Migdal Adair, the watchtower of the flock. And so when Luke writes about this, for the people originally reading this who know the layout of Israel, who know what Bethlehem and Jerusalem look like, they would have clued in and gone, oh, shepherds in nearby fields. That's the fields where they raise the sheep that are going to be taken to Jerusalem to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. When God sends the angel to these certain shepherds, these specific shepherds, he wants us to get the clue that he's telling the ones who care for and watch over and bring into the earth the sheep who are going to be used for sacrifice for sins down the road. And he comes to these shepherds and he says, I've got something I want you to do. There's a baby that's just been born. And so listen to the exchange that takes place now as an angel of the Lord appears. Verse 9, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, because that's just what happens when angels show up. It happens every single time, right? And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now I want us to stop there for just a second because there are a couple of things that we see taking place here. Number one, as the angel shows up and says, do not be afraid, I've come with glad tidings, great joy, good news, great joy that will be for all the people. Right? The first message of the angel is there is good news from heaven. The God of the universe is sending joy to the earth, and it's for everyone. And so when we think about Christmas and what we've just celebrated and what the birth of Jesus is all about, we need to understand that God's announcement of the Savior's birth is for all people. Jew and Gentile alike are given the invitation to respond to Jesus as Savior. He says, this message is for everyone. This is for all of us. We all need this gift that God has just sent. This Savior is for the world. But he goes on and he also says this Savior is personal. He says he's for you. Good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And this will be a sign for you. And he points at the shepherds. He goes, hey, this is good news for everybody, but God wants to narrow this down and go, I don't want you just to think about this on the macro level. I want you to get this in your heart. I want you to get this in your soul that this gift is for you. Like this is for the whole world. But don't exclude yourself thinking that you're not good enough somehow, that God doesn't love you enough somehow. Well, yeah, it's for everybody. I get that, but not me. How many times do we say that to ourselves? I I mean, I'm just, I'm not good enough. Why do I deserve God's grace? Why do I deserve his love? How could I possibly have, have received this gift that he wants to give to us? I know it's for everyone, but everyone surely can't include me, right? And the angel wants them to know, no, that's not true. And especially for shepherds who would go, you know what? These guys are basically the outcasts of society. They were the low people on the totem pole. And so when the angel comes to them, they would go, wait a minute, why would you come to us? Aren't there more important people that you would go to with this message of the Savior's birth? What do you mean this is for all people and here's the sign for you? And I think the angel wanted them to know specifically, hey, this is something that I want you to grab a hold of. That this is for you so much to the point that I want to give you a specific sign so that you get it. Signs have been important throughout these first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Luke. The first sign that we were given was for Zechariah when he said, how can this be? I'm old. My wife is old. We can't have kids at this point. And the angel goes, okay, well, here's how you can trust and know that I'm saying and speaking the truth. You don't get to talk anymore for the next nine months. Then the second sign comes to Mary when she asks the question, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the spirit of God is going to come on you. Here's how the logistics of that's going to work out, Mary. You're going to be supernaturally given the ability to have birth, even in your virgin state. And this is going to be a sign for you. Even your cousin Elizabeth, who was said to be beyond the age of childbearing and barren her entire life, she's now six months into her pregnancy. And what's the first thing that Mary does? She runs off to go find Elizabeth. And she finds that she really is pregnant. 
And now these angels come to the shepherds and go, and here's the sign for you. You'll find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the angel makes this so specific to the shepherds. To go, you guys get this, right? You guys understand what this is like. When you bring an infant lamb into the world, what's the first thing you do? You clean it off and you wrap it in swaddling cloths and you place it in a manger. Why? Because their job is to inspect lambs and make sure there's no defects, no deformities, nothing that would keep it from being a legitimate sacrifice as it grows up to become the sacrifice for the people of Israel in Jerusalem where it will one day be offered on an altar to God to cleanse people of their sins. And they would wrap it in these cloths to protect it, and they would place it in a manger so that nothing could happen to it. And the angel says that same exact thing, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, has been born into the world. And here's how you guys will know that this is for you. It's not for kings and princes and people in their palaces tonight. This is for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And they go, man, we know exactly what that looks like. So in other words, we know where not to go look. We're not going to go look at the palace. We're not going to go look in rich people's houses. They're not going to do that. They're not going to place their kid in a manger. They've got nice rooms for their children. They're not going to use swaddling claws that we use for lambs. They wouldn't do that. They would have nice blankets and clothes and those kinds of things. The, the shepherds are going, we're going to be going and finding a poor family with no resources and a child wrapped in cloths like we wrap our lambs in, and they've placed it in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And they go, that's what we get. We understand. And so this message is for them. And so then we find, right after the angel speaks this truth, verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and singing. Now this is the... An amazing part of the story, in my opinion, I love this because I have no idea and I like to have some form of conjecture about things that take place in Scripture and what's kind of between the lines. Like I know God sent the one angel to go and proclaim to the shepherds. And I wonder, I just have always wondered, like were the other angels in heaven going like, we want a piece of this action too. We know God didn't send us, but we're just going to break out into the middle of this field and we're just going to start singing. <laughs> Like, they're like, we can't, we don't want to keep this secret. We don't want to be the only ones left out. I mean, I know that that angel got sent, but we want to be a part of this crew too. And so they just break out into the heavens and they start singing glory to God. Right? And I love their song that they sing. They sing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And here's the importance and the beauty about that is that what they sing is glory to God. Listen, we need to understand that Christmas is not about us. Christmas is for us, but it's about God. Christmas is about the glory of God. And everything that we see in Scripture is going to point back to Jesus and point back to the Father who's at work to bring these things about, to give the gift to us, to bring salvation to us. But it's not so we can pat on our, ourselves on the back and go, look how great we are and look how important we are. Once we find salvation in the Messiah, in Christ, we turn our attention back to God and we return the glory to him. The glory of Christmas is God. The gift of Christmas is Jesus. 
The recipients are us. We get to receive the glory that God's shown. And so we see what they sing about. And when we think about this message of Christmas, I don't want us to miss that part of the angel's song. We're worshipers. We are first and foremost worshipers of the one true God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And your celebration of Christmas, we get distracted sometimes by the gifts and the food and the traveling around and the being with family and friends, and all of that is good. But it's not the most important thing. The most important thing for us to keep our focus and attention on is Jesus, is God the Father, is the worship of the Holy Spirit. And as we worship God, we truly participate in Christmas. Because that's why Jesus came, is to show us the Father who's full of grace and truth. And to point us to him. And so we're designed to do that. All the glory is to God. And then here's what we find next. He says, glory to God in the highest heavens and, and I'm so thankful for that and, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Because God, who doesn't share his glory with anyone, invites us to participate in his glory. He says, I want you to know that the glory is to God in the highest heavens and... It brings peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. And so when we see this and think about this, the glory of God brings the peace of God. Earlier this morning, I talked about the idea of the Pax Romana, the peace that Caesar Augustus issued in peace to the Roman Empire. But God brings real lasting peace. He brings that through his son. He's the prince of peace. And we see this in Scripture, and we need to know and understand because in our world today, we've lost a sense of our peace. There's so many things that distract us and steal peace from us, right? Viruses that steal our peace. Brokenness that steals our peace. Anxiety that steals our peace. Hate for others that steals our peace. Being felt like we're hated that steals our peace. There are all these different things that are just that come to rob peace from us. And God would want us to know that our peace is not found in our circumstances, but our peace is found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear the truth this morning. You can go through life trying to find your own peace and make your own peace and do whatever it takes to to try to get peace of mind and have peace of heart. And if you leave Jesus out of the equation, you'll just be filling yourself with things that eventually might lead to a certain peace for a certain time, but eventually will bring more anxiety and eventually will bring more pain and eventually will steal from you again and again and again because Jesus alone is meant to be the place we find true, lasting peace. In fact, in the Old Testament, when the writers of the Old Testament talked about this in Zechariah 9, 10, Zechariah writes and says, He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The kingdom that God is bringing. And on earth right now, we have a certain peace. But God is wanting to usher in an eternal peace that's only found in Him. And in fact, this birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so for us, when we ask that question, well, man, how how can I have this kind of peace? It only comes through a relationship with Jesus. And then we start to still look around at our world and go, well, I know Jesus and I have a relationship with Jesus. And yet I still don't always have peace. I still find things in my life that rob peace from me and take joy from me and and remove hope from me. And, And so how does that work? And I think we have to develop a theology that helps us get and understand that his peace is with us even in the most trying times. And you ask, well, how is that possible? Because we have a theology that constantly reminds us that the God of glory has extended peace to us. Jesus came so that regardless of our circumstances, we would know peace. Not because we have peace in the middle of the storm, but because we have an anchor for our souls in Christ that helps us be grounded in the middle of the hard things that come along. That he's able to say, even in the storm that you're going through, hold tight to me, I'll bring peace. And even if you don't feel peace here and now, know that peace is coming and it's going to be everlasting. Jesus even told us, hey, listen, in this world, you can expect trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So listen, church, listen, Christians, Those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, listen, when you try to find your peace in anything other than Jesus, you're grabbing onto something that cannot anchor you deep during the storms of your life. But even in the middle of your hardships, even in the middle of your trials, even the middle of the deepest pain you can imagine, when you know Jesus, you don't just hold to him, he holds you. And he says, I want you to know that in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, be strong, because I've overcome the world. Hold on to me, even in the storm. And so for the shepherds, they get this great heavenly choir that sings out to them, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then in verse 15, It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and which they had just been told. And so I love this idea that when the angels sing to them and proclaim this truth, glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to man on whom his favor rests, and the angels leave and the fields return to dark, that the shepherds look at each other and go, let's go. Let's leave what we're doing and let's go find him. Let's go track him down. Let's go look for this child that's been born, the king of the Jews, the sheep of Israel, the lamb of God, who's going to take away the sins of the world. And I love that because that's not the normal thing to do. 
In fact, one of the reasons that I think God chose these shepherds instead of the shepherds of Israel in the Old Testament, the religious leaders are known as the shepherds of Israel. In the New Testament, the, the people who pastor the church are known as the shepherds or the under-shepherds of the church. But in this period, God goes to legitimate sheep-watching shepherds and says, you go find the child. You go, why did he choose them? Number one, because they would go. This was good news to them. Number two, because the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders, they were not leading people to seek after God in this way. In fact, if you read in Matthew's gospel in the story, maybe a couple of years down the line when the magi show up, the wise men, and they go to Herod's palace and they ask, hey, where can we find the one that's been born, the king of the Jews? And Herod brings in the chief priests and the religious leaders and he says, tell me, where's this child supposed to be born? And they say Bethlehem. And the Magi leave and they go to Bethlehem. Did the chief priest and the religious leaders follow them? Nope. They just stayed around the comfort and the confines of the castle. And so Jesus or God said, hey, I'm going to send the angels to these shepherds. Because they reflect the heart of what a true shepherd is. And that's why I'm sending my son in the first place. He's going to be the shepherd of my people. He is the one that all of creation points to. And so I'm going to send shepherds to go find the shepherd. I'm going to send the ones who watch the flock, who's going to be slaughtered for the sins and the forgiveness of the people, to go and find my son, who's going to be slaughtered and sacrificed for the sins of the people. They're the first ones to inspect the Lamb of God, just like they would inspect the lambs that were born for sacrifice in Jerusalem. And so we see all of this play out. And the question then comes to us, man, what would we do when we're told about this Messiah who's come? Do you seek him? Are you amazed at the story, but then you just kind of go, oh, great story, awesome, but like going to go on with my life now? Or do you seek him? Because that's what takes place with the shepherds. When they leave Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they go out and they start telling everyone about what they've heard and seen. The angels singing, the baby in a manger, the swaddling cloths, all of it. And it says, and the people were amazed. But Luke doesn't say, and everyone was amazed and ran to that little house to find the baby in the manger. No, they were amazed. And then they just went on with life as normal. And so I wonder if our hearts are captivated by Jesus. And I wonder if our hearts are really genuinely seeking him. Or if this time of year, we're amazed at the story. But then after we leave here today, we're just going to go on about life as normal. And it's not going to change anything about us. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.